Welcome to uh, the sixth episode of this podcast. I'm Max Weneker, your host of Management 101, and I, I have a very special guest today. His name is Mateo Jaramillo. He's a, a former co-worker and current friend of mine. Um, very excited to have him on the uh, podcast as our first guest. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about Mateo in one second, but first I just wanted to mention why I wanted to bring him onto the podcast. Uh, so Mateo and I have known each other for uh, almost seven years now, which is kind of crazy. Uh, we worked together for a long time at Uber in Mexico City. Uh, Mateo was actually the first people manager that I ever managed. So I had had a lot of direct reports before, but they were all individual contributors. Um, and then Mateo was the first person on my team to actually have people reporting to him. Um, and so we had a very interesting experience of learning what that was like together. Uh, we had a, a fair share of what I'd call learning experiences. Uh, Mateo was definitely instrumental in my development as a manager and as a leader. And I also had the pleasure of watching Mateo turn into an exceptional people manager. So I asked Mateo to join us today because I think uh, the world would be a lot better off if we had more managers just like Mateo. And so I figured it'd be good to pick his brain a little bit about what it means to be a great manager and leader. So um, Mateo, thank you so much for for joining us. Max, thank you. Thank you for the for the invite and and uh, really honored to be your number one um, invite to this podcast. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm the one who's honored. Um, so let me give you a quick background on Mateo before we get into it. Um, so Mateo was one of the first employees of Uber in all of Latin America. So he started with the uh, team in Colombia, which is where he's from originally, a native of Cali. Um, and then uh, he joined the Latin America driver operations team around the same time that I did. Uh, that's the team that I um, led and where he and I first met in 2016 in Mexico City. Um, he took on the ownership of all the work our team was doing um, focused on new driver acquisition on the Uber platform across uh, more than 10 countries uh, in Latin America. And he also managed a, a small team there. And then uh, eventually he took on uh, my original role of all of driver operations and uh, managed well, I guess I, I, since I left, I'm actually not sure how big the team ended up being. So how many people did you end up managing in the driver operations team? Uh, I'm not sure at this point. I, I think I forgot, but it, they, <laughs> there might have been between 30 and 40 um, because at some point we merged the Brazil operations with the oh, uh, sure. rest of Latam. Okay, cool. So 30 to 40 people. So growing very quickly at that point. Uh, and then uh, in mid-2019, Mateo left Uber and... Uh, eventually started Heru, which he is uh, the co-founder of. Uh, and we're going to learn a little bit more about um, what Heru is, what Heru does, and uh, you know what it's like being a founder of an early stage company and, and what it takes to be a great manager in that context. So now I'm going to open it up to Mateo. But, um, and I would just, Mateo, tell us a little bit about Heru. Like, what, is, what does Heru do? Great. Um, so first off, um, I'm I'm really honored, and and as I told you before, I I think I should be the one interviewing you because I learned a lot <laughs> from you, and and I think it was it was a mutual learning experience, and and we have I have many anecdotes, and and a lot of them I I continue to reference um, back to uh, whenever I I find myself in similar situations. No, I'm um, glad to hear that. Same here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, a, a quick a quick uh, a quick one of those was as I remember. Um, you provided me candid feedback that I, I wasn't going to be promoted at some point. Um, and I think that was one of the best, of course, one of the best candid feedback I've ever received. The hardest message probably I received at Uber, but probably the one that taught me the most. And and if it weren't for that, for your decision, I think I wouldn't have evolved in, in many ways, uh, which I did afterwards. So. Wow! That's so really, to, to uh, kick nice off, to thank, thank you, thank you for that. And there's many other uh, other. <laughs> thank you for things. receiving it so well. <laughs> um, so yeah, so a little bit about Hedu. So what does Hedu do? We do um, tax automation infrastructure, and what that means is we're we're trying to we're trying to build uh, what TurboTax or basically Intuit is in the U.S. for Latin America. So we build. Um, tax automation infrastructure for individuals to file their taxes easily, but also 
take advantage in the in the positive um, meaning of that sentence, take advantage of the the rules or the norm to deduct expenses. So to provide you with an example, any someone who delivers or, or for Uber Eats or Rappi has to has more than three thousand, close to four thousand expenses or SKUs that can be deducted. No, but no human mind is able to pr process that in real time and at a fast pace. So we do do that through technology and, and we present it uh, tax filing every month, which occurs every month for the person. There are 11 tax regimes in Mexico, six of which have either a monthly, bi-monthly or quarterly tax filing process. Um, oh, wow. So that's a huge admin uh, toll for the the people in Mexico. So we, we're trying to simplify that through an app and we do everything automated, completely built through technology. And um, so that's, a, that's part of the business that we're in. And then the other part is, is the other part of Intuit, which is solving for companies. And, and very naturally, taxes is a two-sided equation. So we solve for the individual, but also help the company per se with the tax withholdings on their side and other, other, other things, other processes that they need to run in order to, for the person to correctly file taxes every month. So that's what, what Hedu does. Um, and and uh, yeah, that's where we're in, we're in, in, in an unsexy business, tax tech, but a, a very, a very nice one. <laughs> the unsexy businesses are the ones that have the greatest potential opportunities, right? Yes, yes. Um, cool. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly I know some of the backstory of this. Uh, your example of an Uber driver uh, is, is quite indicative of why you started this company. I think you had a really good sense of some of the challenges that this large population of um, rideshare drivers and other uh, sharing economy gig workers um, that that we're experiencing. There are a lot of even basic things like um, deducting costs of the car or costs of gas and things like that that could really save uh, people a ton of money and they may not have been aware of it. So really cool um, space that you all are in. It's grown very quickly. Um, and speaking of which, uh, you all just recently raised your your seed funding round. So uh, congrats. I think this is doubly interesting and exciting because, you know, this is a very unusual funding environment right now. Uh, how did you how did you manage this? Um, thank you, and 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 yes, we're we're really proud of, of what we what we the the seed round we just closed, um, led by by an incredible um, VC, which is our gradient, um, which is Google's AI fund focused fund, yeah. and and accompanied by other great funds. Um, it, it's, it certainly it's it's very hard times, and and um, thankfully we've been laser focused on on building a business. Uh, that's meant to stay for a long time. And what that means is we've been building, we've been maybe taking um, a little bit more time that, than, than many, many other companies that have been um, funded recently, but with an intention. We want to be intentional with what, with what we're building and we're building strong bases of, of, of technology, strong bases, focusing on, on, a, on, on concrete pain points of our customers. And that allowed us to be well-prepared with um, good numbers to provide that sense of security to 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 the funds that invested in us. Sure. Um, of course, there's many unknowns, many things that 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 might go well, many things that might go wrong. But we we're, we demonstrated that we build a business with strong basis. Um, so yeah, I'm, we're very happy that we were able to close in this um, very uh, weird environment um, <laughs> and. Uh, and now it's on us to to prove that that we can we can continue to grow with that money. Yeah, sure. I have, I have no doubts. Uh, it's it's a very cool story, and uh, uh, I, I think you said it said it really well. Which is, you know, if you have a good idea and it's well executed and thought through in the right way, you know, the money is out there for companies like that, and it's just important to really focus on you know good execution, uh, which is a nice little segue into our uh, first topic, which is uh, people development. Before I get to that, just one other question, which is how many employees uh, work at Hiru today? 56 today. Okay, cool. And how many um, How many a year ago, would you say? 
Well, this this year, just this year, we grew 146 um, percent. Oh so starting this year, we were we're around uh, 20 employees. Um, yeah, around 20 employees this year. So yeah, it, it's it's been a fast growth. Um, lots of learnings, like some of the things um, that I learned at Uber um, and that that we learned together. I have been able to apply some of them. Do not necessarily apply directly to to a to a startup. So it's <laughs> it's it's been an interesting growth. Yeah, fast growth is definitely one of the hardest environments to manage in. So it's good you've got some experience in that. Um, cool. So let's talk through our first management related topic, which is uh, people development. Now, some context here. I I think uh, one of Mateo's strengths uh, as a people manager is is how he helps his team become the best versions of themselves. And when we were working together. I personally saw a number of his direct reports develop into just truly exceptional employees in a very short period of time. And so I would, Mateo, I would just love to hear from you sort of like, you know, I've got some specific questions on it, but how you went about making that happen, because it's a, it's a very impressive skill that you have. So what, what do you think makes you such a great developer of talent? Um, so, so the, thank you. And there, there are a few things that, that come into mind um, that I think, are part of of what I've done in the past. One one of them to start off is empathy, and and this of course is is a word that we hear a lot, a word that that is fairly uh, well mentioned in, in in the books. But this is this is this is probably the core of of everything, and it's how you build empathy with your teams, your direct reports, but but also um, the reports of your direct reports, and and having empathy connecting at a personal level it's it's very very important because that's basically what opens the door to trust um and in opening that door to trust then opens the door to, to collaboration uh, people provide, providing you with feedback to for you also to become a better manager um so i think this is the first one um also understanding the type of management required for each report. So uh, this is something that that I think I, I learned from you is how do you how do you are able to correctly identify which type of manage, management each one of your reports needs? And if we go to the two extremes is very handholding micromanagement type of management. And also um, then the other extreme is complete empowerment and 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 um, and you know letting go of, of that part of, of your business. Um, so you need it, it is important to develop that sensitivity to the type of management that each person that reports to you needs. That that way you can correctly um, you know address each one differently. There is no such thing as one single management way. You have to adapt and you have to adapt quickly for for you to be able to address uh, the different types of managers you have or, or reports you have. Um, and and um, I think the third thing would be provide opportunities for your reports to to shine. Um, focusing the first thing is focus on the strengths of your team members. Um, there is oh, in in a in a positive environment, you should provide feedback. We should evaluate you know things that opportunities, but also strengths. And for me, it's far more important to focus on that person's strength because you need to make those strengths overshadow the weaknesses. We all have weaknesses and we all will continue to have weaknesses. Those are never ending. So if you focus too much on weaknesses, that's the only thing that you will be always thinking about and you will not focus on strengthening your strengths. Um, so that's the first thing. And then and then the other part of, the, of provide opportunities for your reports is provide the correct platform for, for her or him to be owners and have visibility. Put yourself in the back of the room and, and let your reports or, or, or the people in your team um, have the visibility and shine and demonstrate their, their strengths and, and have that platform where, where they can continue to grow. Um, so be in front of your team when things are going tough and be in the back when things are going well. Um, I think those would be the three things that I that I can pinpoint um, that, that, that make uh, a great uh, developer of, of talent. Makes a lot of sense. And yeah, could not have said these things better myself. I mean, uh, learning what makes your direct reports tick and uh, 
understanding what what they what they're good at what they're not good at and then adjusting your style to what they need in order to be successful i could not agree more i mean i think that's something that a lot of early managers you know you don't naturally come in to a management role and you're like oh i know how to manage all these people and i'm going to do it the right way a lot of early managers come in and they're like okay i think this is how i'm supposed to do it and they have a one size fits all for all of their direct reports and uh, I mean, it's it's just like communication in uh, in any capacity, right? The way I communicate something to one person versus another person, they're going to have very different reactions. And I think it's the same thing with direct reports, right? You have to figure out what what the way to land the message is with them specifically and what they need in order to succeed. Um, so yeah, could, could not have said that better myself. And then you're absolutely right. The other thing that um, I think a lot of early managers often make the mistake of doing is always focusing on the weaknesses of their team members and trying to improve them. But, you know, if let's say that we, uh, we were both uh, basketball players and you were always focused on making me a baseball player. Well, I probably wouldn't be that great a baseball player. Why don't you help me enable my basketball skills? Right. If we're constantly making people better at the things they're really bad at, they're going to be average at best. Uh, what, and what you said, which I really like, is we want to figure out what their strengths are and really enable those um, because that's where they're going to shine, right? If people are great communicators, let's not have them go be analysts in a back room and get better at their math skills. Let's figure out opportunities for them to communicate on behalf of the team. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Cool. Okay. Great answers. Great start to the interview. Um, so next question. Tell me about a time, I guess this is a statement, tell me about a time where you help someone elevate their skills to become more impactful in their work. Um, so it was interesting, at, at, at Uber, it was interesting that we, we had the opportunity to build our teams and and um, especially when we, when we ended up in the regional operations team, this was a fairly small in the beginning team and then the regional team started taking on more responsibility. So, so we had the, the opportunity to grow our team, our teams, and um, we had the chance, um, very privileged, to bring team members from from different regions of the world. So, so the Uber team of of Chile, of Colombia, of you know Brazil, etc. And um, and I remember particularly this person that that she was in 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 one of the teams in one of the countries and. Um, and I expressed in in a regular meeting that that you know we were building the team and I was looking some for somebody for that particular position and and she expressed that she was interested but she she didn't want to move um, countries. Eventually we spoke again and she was like, I want I want a place where I can provide prove myself and prove to others that I'm capable of many things. Um, so she. Came came to our team uh, in the regional operations team, and um, we started working on providing that platform for her to shine. First off, we needed to understand where what, what were her uh, strengths, and um, you know put her in the correct position for her for her to be able to shine. Um, and eventually, um, she she moved on to lead one of the teams, and eventually now she moved on to to her role as an entrepreneur. Um, so so. I mean, I can I cannot necessarily pinpoint exactly what the the, the step by step that we made that we that we took, but um, it was interesting to see how she evolved, and um, and it, you know it's it's interesting to, to see how what you think as a manager are small things that you're doing actually have a big repercussion repercussion on the development of that report. And again, I, I go back to 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 many examples of of, uh, of you and I and, and a lot of, of the um, development process that we went through. Um, and I remember maybe some some of the feedback that was the the more candid was the one that helped me, helped me the most. Um, and that's also important, you know, pro- providing that balance between um, recognizing strengths. Providing the enabling the correct platform, but also providing candid feedback where needed, um, will almost always yield a very positive result. Totally agreed. Um, you're kind of like segueing us into the next segment very naturally. Although I've got some more questions for you, but uh, on this one, but yeah, uh, 
Agreed. I think I know exactly who you're talking about. Um, and she was definitely performing, you know, reasonably well in the local team, but clearly there was an opportunity to place her skills in an environment where they were going to be better utilized, right? And just what we talked about before, which is how can we put someone in an environment where their strengths are really enabled and their weaknesses or areas for development are not as highlighted? And yes, she ended up being a very successful member of the team. And you two built a very um close and trusting professional relationship uh, thanks to, you know, your approach to her as a manager. And um, yes, she's now moved on and, and uh, founded her own company, which is really cool. And certainly you in large part are to, to blame or to thank for uh, her success there. Um, so now going into a slightly different example, um, can you think of a time when, you know, this person that you just referred to, she wasn't necessarily struggling. She just had a lot of opportunity for greater impact, right? Is there an Correct. example where um, you had a team member who was really struggling, someone who was not doing what they needed to do in order to be successful in their role, and you helped them turn it around to where they were being a, uh, where they were meeting expectations as a member of your team? Yes, I have one particular example, and I think this was both a learning opportunity for both of us. Um, so this person had had been an individual individual contributor in my team for a, for a while now. I think it was two years. He's he is a great analyst. He he he's able to go deep into the numbers and and you know is that kind of person that is able to to identify patterns, etc. And at some point, he he looked around and, and he saw many of his, of his peers of his peers evolving into a leadership position meaning having people um below them that reported to them so he thought that was his most natural or um most obvious next step is is you know becoming an, a manager so we started having this discussion uh, at some point he became uh, very insisting and um even to a point that even um deteriorated his work on the day-to-day -day because he was so focused on becoming a manager. So so the time came in, in of the performance review and I made the mistake to decide to put him in a management position and um, just to please him. And this was a huge mistake on my side. And, um, and he suffered. He suffered a lot. He suffered a lot because he, didn't, he wasn't ready for that position. He didn't know how to be a manager. He didn't like it. Uh, which was which was worse as is he didn't like it. He he wanted it to continue, you know, doing his analysis and, and launching leading his own projects, etc. And um and so we had to 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 take a step back and, and have him be an individual contributor again. And and he was happy and we were eventually able to find a spot where he was able to grow as an individual contributor and be happy and not worry about becoming a manager at least for the short term. Um, so this was a learning experience for, for the both of us. And, and um, yes, uh, this is one of those, <laughs> those, those uh, points in my management uh, experience that, that I recall a lot. Yeah. I I'm sure it's a uh, pretty vivid in your memory and certainly one of those things that uh, you know, you, you do it once and you're like, okay, I recognize where this went wrong and I am determined not to do something like that again. Right. Um, uh, it, it's interesting what you, um, what you just talked about is a, I, I feel like it's a two-sided problem. One is companies don't always create opportunities for people who are exceptional in their roles, but wouldn't be great managers, right? Like it's, if you just think about any, like, average corporation, the people who are paid the most to have the most responsibility and who are growing the fastest are all people managers, right? They're leaders of teams. So the, one of the problems is just like companies don't create paths for people who are really good at doing, you know, executing on this thing, but maybe just aren't good people managers. Those are obviously two very different skill sets. And you just gave a great example of someone who was awesome at one thing and you had them start doing another because they thought that was the only path for them to grow. And it went really poorly, right? Um, but the other, the other piece of this is, um, I I've certainly suffered from this many times in my managerial career. And it sounds like you might have too, which is, um, sometimes it's, it, you know, it's easier to take the path of doing what the team member wants, right? Cause otherwise it might come with a series of really, really difficult conversations that are hard to navigate, won't necessarily have great outcomes. And 
honestly just require a lot of work as a manager and a lot of kind of heartache as a manager to go through. But the end result of, you know, doing that, of taking the easy path, so to speak, ends up being hard too. And not only did this team member suffer, but I would imagine also the people reporting to him were not too happy, you know, with their new management setup. Is that right? Completely agree. Yes. And incorrect. It's, um, it's those, you, I try to avoid uh, a hard conversation or continuing to have a hard conversation. And then I, I made the, the, the incorrect decision. And, and not only did he suffered, I suffered as well. Right. And, but most importantly, his reports suffered a lot. Right. Um, so everyone yeah, was worse was, off. <laughs> everyone was worse off. Correct. Yeah. Lose, lose, lose. Um, Cool. Yeah, uh, uh, that's a great example and uh, a really good learning experience. Uh, last question on this topic. Uh, a lot of our listeners, and when I say a lot of our listeners, I mean like, you know, the four people who tune into this uh, are are in the very early stages of becoming a people manager for the first time. What are some of the things that you think they should be doing or keeping in mind to make sure that they're helping their teams be successful? Um. Of course, this it's it's a very subjective answer because it, it depends on, on many things and, and it depends on on the maturity of, of the company, the team, you as a manager, your direct reports, etc. Um, but I would say the first thing is is reading, and I didn't have the um, the practice to read, and I have to thank you again because I think you provided me with. First, break all the rules, which is one of the first managerial books I read. Um, I do love that book. I think you also provided me with Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Um, and I read yep. How to Another Win Friends one. and Influence People, uh, which oh, are, yeah. I think are, are, are three books that are very, very, or were very important for me in my in my process of, of learning how to be a better manager and better leader. Um, Radical Candor. And of course, teaches you have that balance between being candid with feedback, but also supporting po with positive, energizing comments um, to your team. Um, first break all the rules goes through all reveals what what the world's greatest managers have done that's differently um, that have put them in that in those positions. Um, and then how to win friends and influence people. Um, you know, it's it's about uh, it's a book about empathy and, and how you build that that rapport with the people fast, quickly, and and that's again the basis of all uh, the trust. Um, that's reading, and then I would say, um, empathize empathize at a personal level. We all have personal lives. We bring we do bring them to work, and we we, we do bring work to to our personal life. That it's a complete lie. Whoever says that that doesn't happen and that you should leave work at work and your life at your life. It's 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 not real. Um, you know, we all go through personal things, and and that impacts um, regardless of if we're at work or in our house or you know anywhere else. Uh, so empathize at a personal level, understand that person, what which she or him are going through, um, and just connect at a personal level. I think it it sounds easy, but but it requires you know maybe uh, for some people more of um of an effort to connect personally, but just just do it. It's, um, you know, connect uh, um, however you want to connect, but do connect at a personal level. Um, understand the level of management each member needs. Again, going going back to the example of the two extremes, hand-holding or, or complete empowerment. Um, lead by example, being together in the trenches, uh, being together, you know, rolling your sleeves in the hard times and, and doing the work uh, will show and will lead, will show your team that you're, you're, they have your back. Um, and that, which is the next point is, is letting your team know that they have your back um, and, and that you will be there for them when, when things get rough. Um, and then I think the, the last one would be set the tone. Um, so be very clear what is allowed and what is not allowed in your environment, cultural environment, and take action. Like whenever somebody violates the rule or, or does not comply with the rule, Take action, whatever that means, you know, um, because that would, this is a fastest way to build culture. If you want culture, if you want a specific uh, type of culture, this is the fastest way to do so. Um, it's hard. It's it's not easy, 
but it's it's a it's the hardest way. It's the fastest way. Sometimes you need to let people go because it's important for you to set an example. Um, so yeah, I would say those would be the things that would come to mind. These are all great. Uh, all the books you recommended are fantastic ones. First Break All the Rules, Radical Candor, and How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those are all really useful books to to read as a manager. And generally speaking, I think um, incorporating reading into your life as a manager and as a leader is really important because just you as an individual don't have all the answers, right? There's constantly more to learn. And these are great starting books. Um, and the, the last thing you said around setting the tone, I wanted to just dive into like a little bit more. Um, first of all, completely agree. Uh, there's a book I read a little while ago called The No Asshole Rule, which talks about the concept of you could have all the greatest people in the world on your team, but if one of them is a jerk, that ruins team culture and can really screw the company's long-term potential and the ability to retain the talent you do want to retain. Um, so yes, creating clear boundaries uh, and expectations around company culture and then taking action when they're not met uh, is really important. It's easier not to take action, certainly, but the consequences are far reaching. Um, you know, no, no hiring manager is perfect at hiring. We're all going to hire bad uh, employees for whatever reason. Some of them are going to be assholes. Uh, the key is not don't hire any assholes. The key is don't keep them around because even just one of them can really hurt a team's uh, a team and a company's culture, uh, which is a great segue into our next uh, topic, uh, which is positive team culture. Um, so another thing that I watched Mateo do really well was create a true culture within his team. All of the teams that he managed, they always had identities. Uh, and this is an, an identity where people felt like they were a part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, I, I saw his team members collaborate really well, and uh, they would often go out of their way to help one another. Uh, so this is a really hard thing to do. I, this is definitely not a strength of mine. And so watching Mateo do it so well was was very cool. And um, so a couple of questions on this. First, um, the way your teams typically work together, in my experience, that's like every manager's dream is like, you know, having the sum be greater than the total of its parts, right? Um how do you make that happen? It's it's um it's a great question and hard hard to define, to be honest. I think um two things I would say. There's a more intangible way to do this, and it's it's of course I'm it's probably gonna sound very easy, um or very the intangible way is setting yourself as an example for, for what other you want other people, other people should look up to as a manager. Um, and the, this is of course much easier said than done, but we've, we've, we've all probably have had different managers in our professional career. And you can, you can definitely pinpoint which managers you look up to and which managers you wish you never had, or probably you wish you would never Absolutely. have again. Never yeah. had, probably not because you. we all learn from those managers, but we can definitely understand or put a managers in those two buckets. Um, so keep that in mind and be the manager which you want other people to look up to, be the manager you want to have in the future. Um, that is very important. This sentiment trickles down very quickly and the team starts acting in similar ways to inspire their team, their peers. Um, or team members. Um, so again, this I know this is very broad, and you can apply it as as you know to your particular um, example. But but be the person that other people look up to. That's it's it's as easy as that. And then there are other more tactical strategies that make sense depending on the maturity of of the teams and maturity of the team leads and team members. But for example, one thing we did at Uber and, and now implement at Hedo is pods um so if you create silos, te teams as silos um you will create probably a, a sense of of um ownership that is not shared so so you you become the teams become become owners of their processes and and their objectives but those objectives and processes are not shared with other teams and 
what you want is a lot of to to build a lot of, a lot of collaboration. Um, so we built pods and, and basically pods. What pods were at Uber were for our interdisciplinary teams um, that were that are created to tackle a particular project or problem, and there is a lead or co-leads assigned to those pods. So there's two things that create these pods grades that are very important. One is the opportunity for some team members to act as interim leads to 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 learn the process of leading and also to to provide you with additional arguments maybe to to put them in a leadership position and also for them to understand you know if they're up to the challenge or not. And then the second thing is collaboration because if you're in inter in an interdisciplinary team, you will have to collaborate with other team team members with from other teams. Um, so that trickles that cross collaboration, communication, and enables those those communication um, channels that you wanna that you wanna enable. Um, so yeah, I would say that's a more intangible and tangible way to 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 do that. Um, but in general, if I can summarize it into one thing, is trust builds rapport. Uh, so make sure that you're building trust constantly and, and your team members are also doing that amongst themselves. Yeah, this is a, a great answer. Um, certainly being the manager you would want to have yourself uh, is is probably a good starting point because yes, we've all had terrible managers that while we may not regret working for because you're right, they're great learning experiences. Uh, I've certainly learned more from my bad managers than my good my good ones. Um we don't want to replicate those behaviors either. Um, I really like this concept of pods. I actually just wrote a, a blog post about this called How to Fix Your Bad Org Structure. I, and I really like this concept because uh, sometimes we as senior leaders come to go to our teams and we're like, you need to work better with this other team or you need to work with this other team on this problem. Or we're told by our leaders, hey, these two teams need to work better together. Um kind of forcing it to happen in a way that's not very natural when you have your own silo of priorities, right? You as the ops team might have different things you want to get done than what the marketing teams focus on. They might be even in conflict with each other. Uh, whereas if you say, well, I'm not going to organize my teams around functions, but rather around problems, like let's start with the problem we need to get more users on the platform or we need to fix the user signup experience. Well, you wouldn't just like take one team and, and try to fix that problem. You'd take skill sets from a bunch of different teams and have them work together. So yeah, I love the idea of pods because it basically creates the org not around all the same skills, but around instead all the right people that are needed to solve this problem. And it forces collaboration Perfect. because you're literally on their team yep. now. Um, cool. One other question here, and then I want to make sure we leave some time for this last section uh, around building trust. So let's uh, we're going to do a theoretical scenario here. Let's say for a moment that we are in an alternative universe and you didn't start Hiru. Um, you were just hired into another startup with a big team under you. And that team that you um, inherited does not work very well together. What, what are you going to do to fix that problem? Um, but the first thing I would do is is have one-on-one -on -one meetings with each one of the team members and focus on sentiment and, and how they feel and, and what is causing that feeling. Um, some of the things that many many of the underlying issues or, or problems with, um, at least in my experience, with non-functioning teams is, is due to lack of alignment of objectives, uh, lack of communication, or maybe even perverse incentives. Um, to your point, you know, some in incentives of, of the ops team might not be um, aligned with the marketing team and that creates a huge um, issue. Um, so I would have one-on-ones with the, each one of the team members and get their sentiment and focus on how they feel. So the second thing is I would have team meetings to, to map the process and, and communication flow. So how is uh, communication and information flowing and, and try to identify where uh, that is not happening uh, and flowing organically. And then the third thing I would, I would say is I would involve the team in the solution and um, ask what they think the solution should be. And this builds commitment. Uh, whatever they tell me, I can hold them accountable for. It builds a profound commitment. And also ask them what they expect from me because and ask them to hold me accountable 
to, to making that happen. Um, I think that being involving the team makes a huge difference. Involving the team in the in the in the, in the solution uh, because that builds a lot of accountability. I have an example of you know we we've gone through several. Um, challenges here at Headwind, and one of them was the operational team. We have three operational teams. We have a tax team, a uh, sales team, and a support team. And um, we, at some point, information was not flowing, and each there was a lot of um, resentment of you know providing teams with other teams with information. Um, and um, so one day, I just came to the office and asked them, you know, this is evident. This is happening. You know, there's an issue. The environment is not positive. Nobody's happy. You know, first of all, tell me what's going on, and secondly, provide a solution. And this we did in the in, in an open space we have, and and it was interesting because they got involved in the in the in the um, in the solution, and they then were accountable to making those things happen. It wasn't me telling them what to do, or anybody else in the team telling them what to do. It was them fixing the problem. Um, on their own. Um, so this, I think, would be the most effective way to solve um, a team's non-functional um, issues is is by asking them to to solve the issue themselves. Well, uh, you know, when Hedo has an IPO and you're you're sitting on your on your beach somewhere, I think you're going to get some calls on how to how to solve some of these organizational problems. I I really like how you approach this um, or how you would theoretically approach this in this alternate universe. Um, uh, do you remember we had a one-time head of marketing named Jeff Jones at Uber? Um, he he said something that has really stuck with me. And he said, you know, people don't want necessarily to be asked for feedback. They want to hear that they've been listened to, right? So the example he gave was when you send out... Um, employee engagement surveys, those in and of themselves are annoying to employees, right? Because it's just like, oh, I'm going to send this, I'm going to spend all this time filling out the survey, and then it's going to go into some rabbit hole that I'll never, you know, I'll never hear about it again. And this is just a waste of my time. The The way to get people excited and feel like they're valued is to, is to close the loop and say, okay, you came up with this idea, you provided this feedback, here's the action we're taking on it. And so your idea of involving the team of, in the solution, yeah, that's how you create buy-in. I totally agree. Cool. We've got um, a few minutes left and uh, I want to go to this last topic, which is potentially one of the more, most difficult ones for new managers is building trust. And the reason I say it's difficult is one, building trust between two people isn't always the most natural thing to, to happen, right? Uh, it requires you know, speaking the same language as someone, I, I guess, both literally and figuratively, but it also requires a level of understanding too. Um, but then the other thing is oftentimes when new managers are promoted into, into roles, it's uh, at the expense of a peer of theirs getting promoted into that role. And so there's inherently a disconnect in trust or a mistrust because maybe this person that has been, was not promoted is not happy about you being in that role. And this happens all the time at fast growing startups like Hero and, and Uber, uh, where you're growing so fast, you need to promote people quickly. And suddenly people who were peers before are now in a manage, manager and direct report relationship. And so the challenge is even greater to build trust. So this is a really important topic and I wanna talk through it. Um, the reason I'm asking you about it is uh, I used to do uh, skip level check-ins with your with your direct report. So that's when um, the people reporting to someone who report to me, so two levels below me, um, I check in with them directly to see how things are going. Um, we can save that topic for another day because there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. But uh, one of the things I would consistently hear from them is that they had tremendous trust in you as a manager and we're comfortable discussing pretty much anything with you. Um, so what do you think makes your teams have such trust in you? Um, I, I would basically go to empathy. I think I, for me, it, it's, it, this is not the answer. This is the answer that is easy for me to say because I think I can build empathy quickly um, I think I can. I'm able to read um, people fairly quickly and understand them, and, and show myself vulnerable enough for them to trust me. 
um, very quickly. So I think it's it's also part of my personality. Um, but again, if if this is not easy to for you as a manager, as a manager, it, you should work on this because building empathy is it's something that's that's inevitably um, one of those those key things that you need to build with your team to build trust. Um, and building empathy is is understanding where the other person is coming from, how they're feeling, um, you know, what understanding also what triggers them positively to to be motivated to come come to work every day and put their 120% um, to everything that they do. Um, and then and then providing also the correct environment and, and putting yourself um, providing them with the security that that they have your back. Um, for whatever they do, um, so so I think empathy is is key to to everything. And for me, I think it's easier to say because I I can build empathy fast. I think, but um, but if that's it, I this is key building empathy fast. Oh, of course, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And uh, so you basically you split this into two parts. One is um demonstrating empathy and building that with your team. And then the other is showing vulnerability, right? And mm -hmm. um, uh, I can tell you, well, first of all, from personal experience, you are very good at reading people and understanding them. Um, and it's definitely something I looked up to um, in you as a manager. And it's something I don't feel like I'm very good at. I'm not good at reading people's emotions or reading between the lines of what they're saying. Um, so for those of you uh, listening, you know, those other three people listening uh, who who fall in more into that bucket like I am of not being great at reading people, I think one of the things that has really helped me is focusing on asking a lot of questions. Um, people often, you know, like to talk about themselves and what they're doing and why they're doing it if they're asked the right questions. And if you're asking questions, you're demonstrating interest in someone, which in and of itself can help build trust. And it will also help you understand them better, which therefore will create empathy. So if you're not someone who just like naturally reads people, and I, you know, Mateo very much falls into the bucket of being able to naturally read people. If you need to take some intermediate steps to getting there, I think asking a lot of questions and trying to understand someone through asking them questions about them um, is is a good way to do that and to build that trust. Um, and uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I, I would just add to that, uh, which you just reminded me of that is is being genuine. Like having building empathy doesn't mean that you have to react in certain way that you wouldn't react normally to something. It's understanding the other person, and if, if that, to your point, asking a lot of questions will get you there, um, and will get you there there fast. And that doesn't mean that for every answer you need to have a reaction. Like doesn't mean that you know. Um, uh, hypothetical example, you, you say, you know, my dog died today. You don't have to cry with a person. Like we're taking this example to an extreme, but you just have to act genuinely the way you would react. But at least you're showing that you care in your own way about that person and, and about how she or he, him are feeling. Um, so just be very careful. Bu building empathy doesn't mean that you have to not be genuine. Like if you, if you are not very in touch with your feelings and you don't want to show them it's okay just understanding and listening to the other person it goes far beyond more than than you know reacting in a certain way that's not genuine so if, if i were to summarize this you'd be you're saying that in order to be a good manager i do not need to cry when my team members dogs die that is correct okay cool good to know uh that is helpful helpful uh guidance um cool last question do you have do you have a, a an extra minute here i do i do i do amazing so um yeah you talked about this a little bit earlier with vulnerability but let's say that you know you're talking to a manager who doesn't feel like they have trust with their direct reports they feel very disconnected from them you know what's one thing that they could they could do to help them create better connections with their team Definitely, I would start by showing myself vulnerable and, and you know, acknowledging that there is a disconnection and that they might be, it might even be your own fault. Um, that will build the correct base to, to turn around that relationship. Um, and, and then again, involve them in, in the solution. You know, how, do, how, would, how would you want me to do things better? How would you do things better? What, we, what can we do that, that we're not doing today? 
or what is something that we're doing today that we should fix and, and do a, a, some some way different. Um, so showing yourself vulnerable and, and being a manager is a lot about that. It doesn't mean that you you need to put yourself in a position where you're untouchable or, or in a position where where you're unreachable. I think totally the contrary is is true. Is is being there, showing yourself vulnerable, being in the trenches. Um, and also, you know, as a manager, you have good days, you have bad days, and, and it's okay to show that. Um, so I, I would I would start with that by that, showing myself vulnerable and having an honest conversation. Um, honest conversations are hard, are very, very hard, but it they are they are they are a very important part of developing as a manager. And I continue to to develop that skill because I'm not very good at having difficult conversations. And that's something that that you and I went through and, and you helped me as, a lot as well. And, and, um, and I continue to struggle with that. That's, that's not definitely not one of my strengths, but I, I am very conscious and I do an effort to, to have those difficult conversations. Um, and those are important to, to start show, by showing yourself vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. I think neither you nor I really likes upsetting people. And uh, unfortunately that does come with the territory as a manager. You can't, what did Abraham Lincoln say? You can't please all the people all the time. Uh, that's that's a recipe for disaster. So yeah, you and I had to learn that together. But uh, you know, it it is possible to be a great manager, not like having difficult conversations, but still do so. Um, it's it's okay if that never is something you really enjoy doing or feel comfortable with. Um, so long as you're approaching it in a in a thoughtful way, and uh, yeah, vulnerability is really important. I think, um, you know it. If you think about who your managers have been in the past, oftentimes they seem like very senior authority figures. Well, you got to remember that that's how your team might see you. There's a natural barrier or distance between you. And so what you might see is, oh, we have like this very good rapport. They might see as, oh, this person's very senior and like in like untouchable in some ways. And so the way you get around that is by saying, hey, like I'm a human too. I have uh, things that I'm working on to be a better manager, to be a better leader, to be a better employee, uh, they'll get a lot more comfortable with with talking through these things with you if you've called out that you're working on them. And so demonstrating that vulnerability is really important. I know we're over time. Uh, Mateo, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Uh, this was awesome. You, uh, you receive a, a five out of five in the Uber app of interviews. Uh, and uh, I hope every guest is as amazing as you are going forward. Max, uh, again, um, thank you for for inviting me to this conversation. It was a, it was an honor and, and great to touch base again with you. And you know, I'm I'm just happy we continue to connect because um, because I learned a lot uh, from you. So so thank you and thank you for putting this together. I'm sure many people will will have a lot many things to extract from your conversations. I'm, so thank you. Uh, I'm excited to bring your management voice to the world. So, so thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too.